Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up, I meet Venetia Quick to talk about how running helped her process the grief of losing her husband, Martin. Maria McCarthy on the importance of mindset. And I try out techno yoga. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I've had a good week. The kids are finished school. So that comes, of course, with a sigh of relief that their schedules aren't as packed, but then also a sigh of trepidation because their schedules aren't as packed. But do you know what? I've taken a few big steps work-wise lately and my plan now is to ease off a little over the summer weeks. My sister is due home from America with her family, so I want to spend some time with them, have some sunny days with the kids and just enjoy the few weeks. And, you know, as we all say, the time with your kids goes so fast and mine certainly has. I'm almost borderline. They they won't want to hang out with me over the summer, so I'm just going to make the most of them as much as I can. I will still be here every week, though. I wouldn't miss it. And I went to the Off the Ball event this week to send off the women's football team to the World Cup. Manager Vera Pau, Captain Katie McCabe and the squad are making history as the first ever women's Irish team to play in a World Cup. And it was such inspiring stuff. It was an evening event in the Mansion House. And because it was a school night, I really did you know, back and forth on whether I'd bring the kids with me. And in the end, I went with date night and I have to say I regretted it. The messaging of supporting each other, coming back from adversity, making sacrifices along the way. There were some golden life lessons and just a beautiful feeling in the room that I wish I had of had my kids listening to too. I loved hearing from the team. They were so pragmatic about coming from inequality compared to the men's and now having pay parity and support, but they only had good things to say about standing up for what was right. I also loved three legends, uh, Paula Gorman, Linda Gorman and Olivia O'Toole, who played for Ireland on the women's team in the 70s and the noughties. And they spoke about learning to play on the streets with the boys, playing while pregnant, covering their own expenses to get to matches and training no matter where it was. And Olivia O'Toole was asked if she was bitter about what the women's team have now, or at least she said that that's something she's being asked an awful lot in the media. And she said she was so happy to see the girls doing well and she's going off to Australia to support them and that means the world to her. And that when she played, it wasn't about having a nutritionist and getting paid. It was about playing for your country. And it was just really, really lovely to hear. I was emotional. I was inspired. I was empowered by them all. And in the audience, there was obviously, you know, a lot of friends and family. There was the background staff and there were also some young girls teams. So, look, it was hairs up on the back of your neck type stuff. A brilliant night. And we should all be behind them in their World Cup campaign and beyond. Absolutely brilliant stuff. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, Maria McCarthy looked in the mirror at 39 and wondered why she wasn't further along in life, even though she had a good salary, a loving husband and daughter, a home and a fancy car. There was something not quite fulfilling her. Her journey out of this led to her retraining as a mindset coach to empower others to take control of their lives. And she joins me in studio now. Maria, hello. 
Hi, Claire. Good to see you. So can you take us back to that 39-year-old you and, and what you were thinking and how you were feeling? Yeah, of course. So I was living what a lot of people would describe as the dream life. So I had my corporate career. I had my family, my husband. Life on the outside should be good. But I knew there was something in me, like a deeper purpose, um, that I couldn't figure out what it was. And I woke up literally at 39 going, why am I not further along than where I thought I would be? And for me, it was about exploring, Okay, an opportunity arose and it gave me time to go. This is my time. I need to figure this out so that I don't end up with regrets. And I was in a corporate world. It was really busy. Um, but I was gripped by fear. I was gripped by anxiety. I would have struggled to get out of the bed in the mornings a lot of the time because I felt guilty even for wanting more. And I think that held me back a lot of the time from wanting to explore more. So luckily I was like, okay, it actually happened when I was enrolling my daughter Mirren into play school, would you believe, two years prior, right, to when she actually started. And it was in the countryside and I was like, how am I going to get her to play school? Because I was in a corporate career, I was travelling the country. I was like, I'm not going to be able to do drop off and pick up. And I said, no, trust in myself, trust in the vision of what I want for my life to be and look like. And what was that vision? And it was that I wanted to be around more. I wanted to be a mum and see my daughter grow up and be able to drop her to play school and pick her up, but also have a career that is on purpose and that I'm driven, that makes me fulfilled. Yeah. And And I I think so many people will relate to that because, as you said, your life on paper was perfect. You had a good salary, a good job, that you'd worked hard to get to that position, a loving husband, a gorgeous daughter... But then you've bills to be paid. So obviously you're thinking, well, this is all well in theory that I'd love to have more free time and a bit more purpose, but I I, I should be satisfied with what I've got. Exactly. And we're all in that loop and we have responsibilities, we have mortgages to pay. So it can be very difficult for people to find that purpose. Now, I probably had an extreme of that. I was like, okay, I'm taking my time. I started working with a coach and I said, look, I started envisioning how my day wanted to be. So how I wanted to wake up in the morning, what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to run in the morning and go for a sea swim in the morning because we live in Greystones. And I wanted that, but I also wanted to have a corporate career. And so I held on to the vision. I didn't know how it was going to happen. And this is the thing. We have to hold the vision and trust the process. So two years later, when I came to dropping Mirren to her play school, I was working as a coach. I was gone from my career, completely uprooted my whole life in that regard. And I was able to drop her to play school and pick her up and then still start a business. Now, it takes sacrifice. And I'm not saying that everyone has to go and, you know, be an entrepreneur and find what it is they want. But it's about searching within yourself to figure out what does make you happy. And you can still be in your job and really happy, but there could be other stuff with outside that would, you know, fulfill your purpose. That doesn't mean you have to leave your job. And a lot of the time, me particularly, I was searching for that purpose outside of myself and searching for external validation. 
And actually, it's within us. And it came from within as well, because look, there's plenty of people who are working that life and are really yeah. happy. But you had a niggle like that you couldn't ignore. You had this I little had voice saying, yeah. there's something more. Why am I happy? There was a voice. There yeah. was something that needed to be yeah. answered. And as you say, it could be different for everybody. It could be a, a relationship somebody needs to get out of. It could be moving to another country or that they, you know, they want to do something that they're not currently doing. Now, you did get an opportunity that people will say, well, it's all right for Marie. Redundancy came your way and that gave you time to look. But do you believe that anybody can do this? Yeah, 100%. And the thing is, you need to become aware first, right, of where you're unhappy and then what would happiness look like for you. And then it could be maybe you're just looking at a hobby. Maybe you engage in a hobby that would fulfil you. You know what I mean? And that you're able to meet your responsibilities, that you don't have to give up your career or change jobs. But a lot of the times, sometimes people find that they change jobs and then the same thoughts and patterns emerge. And I'm like, and they're not happy in the new job. So it's about understanding what does happiness mean for you and becoming aware then of, well, what areas of my life am I actually not happy in and what would that look like if I started to work on myself? Because at the end of the day, we're a result of how we think and how we feel. And what tends to happen is people's, our brain is there to keep us safe. So the neuroscience part, I kind of want to make neuroscience like layman's terms and language because I'm not a scientist but understanding it from how does that actually show up in a practical everyday life. So if you look at it, right, our brain is there to keep us safe. But when we are experiencing maybe a bit of fear or we're moving across what we like to call a term, the edge of chaos, and we're kind of at that point of decision making, will I, won't I, will I, won't I. And our old habits and our old limiting thoughts and behaviours will appear and then the fear will take hold and our brain goes, no, you can't go there because it's it's unknown. I don't trust it. It's it's unsafe. So we retreat and we stay stuck. And that's what I'm helping people is if you're feeling stuck, there is ways to get unstuck. But first, you have to identify for yourself because it's different for everyone. What does happiness mean to you? And then understand, are you actually looking for happiness external Or are you developing it within yourself that when you get those external things then and they start happening, they're a bonus. They're added value. They're enriching your life. And they're not, you know, caught up in um, this is the be and end all. It's not. So when you're in that zone and you're stressed and you're feeling stuck, you know, like I was, and I just could not see the wood from the trees. I was like, how is this going to happen? What's happening is you're not thinking from your executive function in your brain, your prefrontal cortex, okay? So you're in your fight or flight all the time. And one of the best ways that you can do that is, you know, breathing. This is why Wim Hof found it and transformed his life and so many others. So the breathing, actually what it does is it sends your brain a message to say, you're safe, you're calm, it's all good and regulates your nervous system where then you come out of your fight or flight, out of that red zone, back into the green zone, back into a place where I feel like I can make a decision and actually then the decision can come quite easily and the answer comes quite easily. But if you're not able to access that and understand that, we stay stuck and we stay spinning. 
and we spin, spin, spin until a lot of the time where we're forced to make a change. So we end up burnt out. You know, there's grief in the family. You know, something happens that forces the change. So it's about educating people to understand, no, we are, we all have our own brain. We can all empower ourselves to figure this out and get help and support along the way where you need it. But ultimately, it's back into us and ourselves and our values. Are we aligned with our values? Are we aligned with ourselves? What makes us happy? What makes us successful? Because I was that picture perfect. I ticked all the boxes, Claire. You know, I really ticked the boxes. I went back to college and worked full time and got my business degree. I was like, oh, that'll make me smart now. That'll make me feel smart. But sure, my imposter syndrome was there all the time. Second guessing myself, second guessing myself all the time. And this happens so many leaders within corporate as well. And in the corporate world and even as business owners, you kind of get that point and that success, but then the imposter syndrome shows up because we actually just don't truly believe in ourselves. We don't believe our self-worth allows us that we're worthy of it. Yeah, or as you say, we haven't spent the time to say, what's my overarching value system here? And then you can make all your decisions based on that. So even if the imposter syndrome pops up, you say, no, I'm on a path. I'm working to X, Y and Z. And that kind of fortifies you a little bit. And you call yourself a mindset coach. So what is the mindset shift we all need to make? So, well, we could talk for hours about this, but it's I think the biggest thing you can do is understanding your own mindset. So when I'm coaching, you know, my business people, my entrepreneurs and my clients, the biggest power that you have is your brain and your mindset yourself. So understanding your own mindset, like what are your saboteurs? What's keeping you stuck? What are those old thoughts and those old beliefs that show up every day? And then when you start to understand all of that, that's where the change can happen. It doesn't have to be a big, massive change, but you'll start to see a change within yourself. You'll start to build your self-worth up natural boundaries then will start to come in. You're like, you know what? That used to upset me before. I'm not going to let that upset me anymore. So it's really the biggest thing you can do is your mindset and work on your mindset and get to know yourself. And what are some of the common things you hear time and time again from the clients you work with? So it's this feeling that um, they have it all. I've made this choice because obviously I work with business owners, successful business owners, where actually their happiness and their home life doesn't always match the business success. And they feel guilty for wanting more and wanting a home life balance because they feel like, well, I should be on the business. You know, I should be in the business all the time and it's my responsibility. So it's that feeling of frustration, um, lack of self-worth, lack of self-confidence is huge um, and then feeling guilty for wanting more. And investing so much time in their business and their work but not enough in themselves, themselves. and yeah. feeling like that's like just a bit woo-woo to be able to yep. go for a sea swim that that's for a different type of person but to have freedom it doesn't have to be the sea swim it can be anything but to have freedom to tap in and say what do I fancy doing today yeah. we are allowed that I just think we set up society in such a way and obviously it's a capitalist model that we think, you know, you do well in school, you get yourself a degree, you get yourself a job, you get yourself a mortgage and then that's you set up. But there's so many more parts to us. It doesn't have to be 
all about that. A good test, right? A really good test I do with my clients and everyone can do this. You don't have to be a business owner or, you know, um, in a corporate leader. Everyone applies to this. And the test is, can you sit down for 10 or 15 minutes with no phone, no scrolling, no book, maybe have a cup of tea or coffee if you want or a glass of water. Can you sit down for 10 or 15 minutes and enjoy that 10 or 15 minutes without the guilt of I should be doing this, I should be doing that, I should be doing this, I have so much else to do. Like even going for a walk, even exercising, like we actually limit ourselves so much in what we should be doing to nourish ourselves because we feel like guilty for well, I've got to put the dinner on the table. I should be doing this activity with the kids. I should be doing this on the business. I should be working on this. So it's a constant loop that we find ourselves in. But actually the test is, can you sit for 10 or 15 minutes by yourself and be happy? Yeah, it's this constant doing, isn't it? I mean, even on the walk now, we've got the headphones in and we're learning something and it's just go, go, go. Yeah. Um, Can you sit for 15 minutes? Very happily. As a business owner, yeah. mum of two now, are yeah. you? Yeah, Marish is a year and a half and Mirren is five. So I have to carve out the time, but I've had to work myself around letting go of the guilt. So the dishwasher needs to be emptied. The laundry needs to be put on. I need to work at the business. I should be doing this post and that thing. And I have to really watch myself. And really and truly go, no, Marie, actually do take the 10 or 15 minutes and it could be meditation. I'll light some incense or something. I'll gen- And I used to carve it out in the mornings, but then I felt guilty because I wasn't able to do it in the mornings because I might be up all night with a young baby. <laughs> and then I had to go, actually, why am I putting myself and the pressure on that it must be in the morning first thing? I was like, that doesn't suit my lifestyle right now. So how can I incorporate it in? So I'll do it when Mirish goes for his nap. So there's a lot of noise in society about you must set your day upright. And that is true. But we have to be realistic as well. Work it into your life and your schedule. What works for you? Forget about, you know, the influencers and what society is to telling you. Do what works for you and don't feel guilty about it. That's where the trick is. That's where people's mindset goes. No, you can't have that. You're not allowed to do that because your self-worth maybe doesn't allow it. So start having fun with it. Start exploring it. If you sat for 10 or 15 minutes, what does come up? What thoughts come up? And just get aware of what's coming up. And then that's where you bring in your box breathing and you bring in your breathing techniques, you know, that you can really then get a clearer picture of what you want to do. Will you give people um, an insight how to do the box breathing? Because I think for many of us, myself included, even I thought, geez, 10, 15 minutes is a long time. Can we not start with two and build? But box breathing would probably be a really good yeah. way to start because it would really calm the central nervous system and help us to sit for longer without the phone or without anything to do. Yeah. And you can use this technique in the car, when you're in a meeting, wherever you are, if you have to go pick up the kids or whatever it is, you can use it right throughout your life. So it's a simple method of breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth and you visualise a box in front of you so you count in for four you hold for four you breathe out for four and hold for four now if you do that just three or four times what are you doing? so here's the neuroscience so let's kind of demystify the neuroscience piece you're just telling your brain you're safe that it's all okay I'm good and then you regulate your system 
your nervous system and then that allows you to access your executive function and your prefrontal cortex instead of working from your limbic part of the brain where you're in your fight or flight. And like a lot of people who are stressed and busy, 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 they can be highly functioning in the red zone where your fight or flight is always on. And it's so damaging because of the amount of adrenaline that's pumping through you, cortisol, all of those chemicals are pumping through you and they're not serving you. We need it to a certain point, but when it becomes consistent, that's really where the damage is built up. So a lot yeah. of maybe... And you can be anyone. You can be a yeah, student, um, a busy parent, absolutely. a teacher. You don't have to be. We always picture this kind of big CEO exec no. and it can be absolutely anyone. Exactly. And Marie, can I ask you finally then, are there times in your life where you still feel unfulfilled? Does that crop up ever? Because I always think in, in health and wellness, we think, oh, and here I am, I'm fixed and there's never a hassle. <laughs> I have it all sussed. Absolutely. Every day, constantly, <laughs> I have to work on my mindset. And that's the thing. Like, I totally feel, I suppose I'm living what I dreamed of, right? And I'm very fortunate and I don't take that lightly. However, there's a hell of a lot more I need to do. And I'm going to start enjoying the journey more than what I did before. Because a lot of the time I would have waited until I got to the destination. And we're all habitual like that. We all go, I'll be happy when I get the promotion. I'll be happy when I get the bigger house. I'll be happy when I get, get, get. Instead of actually happy now and working on ourselves. And then when you get those, you know, they're an added bonus. But I have to work on myself all the time. A hundred percent. I'm, I've got two small kids. I'm work, I'm at home full time and trying to run a business. So I have to regulate my own system and I have to put things in perspective. And I, I have a great husband who supports me with this, who I can go, I feel so guilty today because I didn't get to spend enough time with the kids because I was working on maybe something at the business. Or I feel so guilty because I took the kids to the playground and we had ice cream and I should have been working on the business. So... But I have to remind myself, and he's great, but this is what we chose. You want to be at home with the kids and have a business. That yeah. lights me up. And that's because you spent that time from when we spoke about exactly. it, 39, working on it. And that's what you remind yourself. Well, I absolutely love your outlook on life. And I think so many people will relate to it. If you want to find out more, Marie is on Instagram. She's at Marie McCarthy Mindset Coach or her website is also mariemccarthycoaching.com. Marie McCarthy, thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Claire. Great to talk to you. Coming up after the break, find out how I got on when I tried out techno yoga. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, I'd have to admit, I'm a bit of a fair weather yoga enthusiast. I love it when I'm doing it, but I just don't really do it enough. I was great at it during the lockdowns. It was a bit of a a saviour. I regularly did online classes, but they've sort of faded away along with the mask wearing. And I do still grab the odd class, but I would love a more regular practice. And I really don't know why the gym wins me over more and more than the yoga mat, but... I did see a techno yoga class advertised, a DJ in the corner, a more darkened room with disco lights, and I thought it looked cool. So I went to meet Nisha Nivrin in D-Light Studios in Dublin to give techno yoga a go. So Nisha, we're here. You're all set up for your techno yoga class. But before we get into that, how did you get into yoga in the first place? 
Well, that is a difficult enough question. Um, I guess for me, my yoga journey, I could say, began when I was a teenager. I used to attend yoga classes with my mom and Rohini and I just fell in love with the whole practice. I was involved in lots of sports as a child and a teenager and I was very competitive, but I never felt like I succeeded in any of them, like ballet or football or gymnastics. Um, so then when I found this yoga practice, I realized it was the, a lot of um, interesting movement, but there was no competition. The only, the only competition, well, not even a competition, it was just about me and my practice. And I just loved that form of movement and learning about the different postures. And then after a while, a while I realized that there was so like, the breathing and the meditation just made me feel so different compared to any other hobby I ever I ever took part in and I guess I always looked at my teacher back then when I was a teenager and I used to feel so inspired by my teacher and how she spoke and what she taught me and I guess fascinated when I started looking into yoga teaching and, and their way of life and their way of living and then um, I went into college I studied sports science I've always been so interested in health and wellness and when I was in my third year of college, I was meant to go on a, an inter, internship and I was going to be volunteering in Namibia, but then the pandemic happened. And instead I chose to spend my time doing an online yoga teacher training and every morning for, for a good few months, I used to wake up and do my online classes and do my self-study and just practice by myself. And I just then threw myself straight into and I started teaching outdoors um, in St. Anne's Park. I didn't really know like, where it was going to go. I just knew that I absolutely loved it. And I can't believe your story is relatively new if it kind of kicked off in the pandemic and your life just took one different turn and, and here you are. And why is bringing the Irish language into your yoga classes important to you? <laughs> I did my whole education through Irish. <clears throat> I went to school Nassan and then Gwelt so Irish has always been a huge part of my life. My two parents speak Irish. I've spent many summers on the Aran Islands. I have such um, an appreciation for our language. I think it's the most beautiful language. I mean, I don't know many other languages, but the Irish language is just amazing. And I feel like it's such a huge part of who we are on this island. And I think the way the way they're they're teaching it at the moment sometimes detaches people from the Irish language and because of that I feel like it's really really important to me to kind of combine it um, with my job in a way I always um, begin my emails with an Irish diagwitch and I end with um, Grog Solis, love and light and even though it's something quite small I, I do love to include it and I want to and I try to kind of combine a little bit with my teachings and just share it as much as I can and keep the language alive. I don't think I have the best standard of Irish. I don't use it enough, but I think I also just need to use what I have. And sometimes people feel a little bit intimidated by our language um, maybe because they feel really disconnected. But actually, I think it's all within us and it also teaches us so much about who we are as Irish people. And what about this class that I'm about to do now? Um, it's techno yoga. I've never done it before, but I saw images of it shared online and thought I'd love to give that a go. So I can see now in to the room that you've got it dimmed, the sort of disco lights are going and you have a DJ in the corner playing quite kind of chill beats. It's a bit like a 
beach party kind of a, or a beach club in you know Spain or, or Ibiza it's got that kind of vibe to it so when did this idea come to you? So the idea of techno yoga probably came to me about two years ago I used to do my self-practice and I would play my favorite electronic beats and I was just I would get so much into a state of flow I was like whoa this is so cool I would I wonder if one day if I could um, create some sort of um, yeah event or experience where people also get to feel what I have felt and uh, then I had this vision of I don't know just teaching a kind of a vinyasa flow sequence um, with my beats and that everybody's kind of almost in like a trance-like state just flowing and really connected with their bodies and then um, I guess yeah that was two years ago and then one thing led to another I've just been kind of like working away at this idea I had some really cool opportunities and then um, I've finally been able to put the whole thing together and make my vision in a way come to life um, and really it's just trying to create a techno vibe if you get me so it's like using the lights and the loud beats and then a a strong vinyasa flow so people feel very present um i used to love going to dance at techno gigs with djs and stuff when i was in college and i feel like everybody always feels so present on the dance floor so i guess this is kind of an explorative practice for me because i'm just combining one of my favorite things in the world which is yoga with um this idea and trying to yeah create something unique for everybody to enjoy i don't think many i don't know if anyone in dublin is is doing exactly what i'm doing um like making it an event and so it's really really fun and it's really exciting and i guess i'm still just playing around with trying to like refine it and improve it and create different playlists and stuff and I guess I try to always go with the flow of a yoga class so the beginning I'd use some down tempo music and then it kind of builds up a little bit and then for the peak posture in a way when we're getting really really into the flow and maybe it's getting a bit more challenging I will play techno songs and then it goes straight back down and into some really like melodic um, music yeah right well let's give it a go You're all very, very welcome to this evening's Techno Yoga class. I'm very excited to share this experience with all of you. And before we begin, I just want to make sure everybody knows that this is your own practice. So make sure you, you make it yours. You listen to your own body and you don't push yourself to a point of pain, but also find the balance of learning to challenge yourself and explore your own edge. And I hope you all enjoy as much as I do. Take a moment in downward facing dog, maybe pedaling the heels from side to side. Take a deep inhale, one side, breathing into the side body. Exhale, move to the opposite side. Okay, wow. So we've just finished. Um, I think I'm going to be sore tomorrow in a good way. Um, that's quite a challenging class. And I do like a challenge because like you, I've always been kind of pulled towards something challenging. But when challenge meets chill, I think that's the ideal spot to be in. And that was an hour and a half class. And that just flew by. 
Oh, that's brilliant. That's so good to hear. I love when I hear people say it flew by because that's actually such a good indicator that you did get into your state of flow because your concept of time just kind of disappeared. And yeah, like you said, it's challenge meeting relaxation. So I think because we really do try to focus on on our our breath and our flow of breath during the postures, it does keep our minds pretty, pretty calm, even though you're pushing yourself to your own limits. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting and I'm delighted. And the music is cool. I mean, I've been to a couple of yoga classes where the music has veered away from, you know, the, the, the very chilled kind of Zen music that I think can be intimidating to people. I think sometimes the yoga mat or the yoga arena can be intimidating to people. Whereas, as you say, everyone gravitates to a dance floor and it's got that kind of vibe to it it did make a real difference and the dark and the lights that you could really just get lost in it in the same way who is your dj in the corner so the dj uh her name is sarah and her name online is sk so a friend of mine his name is paul he'd never done yoga before but he started coming to my techno yoga events and now all he says all i do is techno yoga and it's his best friend he connected me with her and he was like sarah's just starting out so would you like her to be involved so she was involved and it went really well and it really also helped create that vibe of like oh you're at like a techno event you're in the dark there's lights all the music so that was amazing to have her well i'm going to grab a few people as they come out and see how they found the class but nisha thank you so much for having me here today i will definitely be back it's not something you do too often is that to keep it a little bit exclusive like a dj night or or will it grow yeah, it's not something I do too often, probably at the moment because it takes a lot of work. Um, but also I think, yeah, keeping it as kind of an event. So, you know, we get excited about it and I'm hoping to grow it. I'm hoping to keep building it and there will be many more in the future in Dublin. Brilliant. Well, I'm excited. I think you should go global, but yes, one <laughs> step at a time. Nisha, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Claire. Okay, so I have a couple of first-timers here. What did you make of that class? I absolutely loved it, every minute of it. And would you have done yoga before? Yeah, I do a lot of yoga, but I've never done... I've actually never even done a 90-minute class, and that felt like quicker than some 40-minute classes I've been to. I couldn't believe it when it was over. I was like, we just started. I know, and do you think that's down to the tempo of the music? Yes, yeah, because you're not thinking about anything else. You're just kind of flowing with it and... And obviously she's a great teacher as well. Yeah. yeah. It was really cool, the dark, the lights, yeah. all of it. So you yeah. do it again. It's right beside the speaker as well. So it was very like all encompassing. Yeah. Kind of like clubbing and yoga yeah. together. And what about yourself? First time also? First time also. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't do yoga uh, too much. I do, I do a lot of boxing, but it's, it's nice to do to kind of slow down. But I often have a lot of trouble kind of getting into it. So the music, the techno, you know, really helped. I'd be interested to see will it be sore tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Because uh, it was tough. <laughs> like, oh, I won't lie, it wasn't easy. No, but, it uh, certainly it was wasn't an easy class, but yeah. So it's a thumbs up. It's a thumbs up, yeah, definitely. Second time here, yes, it's so much fun. I love the vibe of listening to such good techno. She has put together an amazing playlist. Moving your body like that, you just feel like you're on a dance floor at times. It's so much fun, and I think everyone needs to experience it.
Because it's nice to do yoga with the chilled music, but this is like a different experience. Exactly. It's just like that bit more upbeat. If you're someone who honestly loves a good boogie or if you love like a good hit workout, like I think this is something you'd really, really love. Um, it's different and it's fun at the end of the day. Did you, what were you thinking coming to the class? I was really looking forward to it. Um, I was just, I wasn't expecting this, but it was so much more than I expected. Okay, because so. it's very different, isn't it? Yes, very different. Like Emer said, I felt like I was on a night out, but like, minus the drinking. <laughs> um, yeah, I love these classes. It's also my second time here, and I just think it brings a whole different vibe to yoga. I've done a few yoga classes before, but this would definitely be my favorite one. And then I think it really complements, like, I would be really big into doing gym classes, but it really complements that from, like, stretching out your body in a different way. So the classes are amazing. I'll be back. Alive and Kicking on News Talk. You're very welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, the Irish Life Marathon takes place in Dublin on October 29th and many people will run for a host of different reasons. One of those will be Venetia Quick, who began running after her life was turned upside down following the loss of her husband, Martin. And she joins me in studio now. Venetia, you're very welcome. Thank you. So this is quite a a personal story. And when we talk about the marathon Everybody's on a personal journey. Yeah. But running began for you after the death of your husband. Tell us a little bit yeah, about what it happened. Yeah, um, So Martin died five years ago, uh, just over five years ago. He had, he was diagnosed stage four uh, lung cancer. Um, the, where it was and where the tumour was lying, it was like a donut shape. So it was always going to be a bit dodge when it came to his heart, just as well Um, but five months later um, he basically collapsed at home had a heart attack and that was it And had he been having any symptoms what had led to that diagnosis? Um, He was very tired Um, I remember we went to a friend's 50th and there was friends there we hadn't seen for ages because of young kids and all that sort of stuff and a couple of them went you know God he's got very thin and then when I I suppose when you see somebody every day you don't really notice them losing weight as much. But then I sort of went, you know, you're right. But when we we went away a couple of weeks later and I noticed things like lifting the shopping, he was out of breath, he was tired, um, he had a cough. Um, So all the symptoms, we now know to be the symptoms of lung cancer, pretty much he had. And you had three young kids. Yeah. You were at a football match with one of yours. Yeah, well, I was on the way to yeah a, a tra- his first training session with the little fella. He's fi- he was five at the time. Um, and Felix and Arlo were at home, so they were 12 and 7. And then I, well, on the way, we bumped into a friend and I had my phone on silent because I tended to do that at the weekend just to try and be more present but <laughs> yeah my phone's um, always on silent yeah and it was sort of so I wasn't keeping an eye on the time and an ambulance and a fire brigade had come by and Casper turned around and said oh gosh they're in a terrible hurry and they were actually going to our house um, so yeah when I actually looked at my phone to make sure that we weren't late for the football thing there was all these missed calls both from Felix and from I guess what was the either the paramedics or the fire brigade and so Felix had called. Yeah, he, he called nine nine nine. Um, 
what had happened was Martin was in the kitchen with Arlo. Martin said he could, it was starting to become very unwell. And he, he said to Arlo, get Felix. And Felix rang 999 and they were sort of talking through him and then Martin got worse and then he collapsed. And that was pretty that much it. so tough for, yeah. for them and, and for you. Oh, very much so. I mean, like I think, I mean, I sort of came, we came home, was on with Casper and was on autopilot. A neighbour actually took the two little ones and Felix stayed with me. But um, I think for the kids, it's it was sort of weird because for Felix and Arlo, they went, saw the trauma of basically what was not a very nice scene for young kids to see, for anybody to see. But then as time went on, Casper sort of felt a bit like, well, why wasn't I there? And did daddy choose to die with Felix and Arlo and not me? And, you know, it sort of was a weird thing that I would never even think about afterwards. And it sort of was a different dynamic as well. Now he's older, he understands that, look, you know, if nobody chooses really um, where something happens. But at the time, because I suppose he's so small, he's like, well, why didn't daddy want to be with you and, and me? Why did he want to be with Felix and Arlo? It was, that was a strange thing to have to navigate on top I guess, of everything else. Yeah, because obviously you were going through your own grief. Mm. This was your husband, your life partner, and yeah. you had to be there for your kids without your big support system. Yeah, but I think, well, I mean, I have amazing friends and, you know, they've just been absolutely incredible. Um, I think in a way you sort of park your own grief um, because your kids become your focus and you just, the most important thing to you is that they're happy and you know, what has what happened with their dad and he definitely wouldn't want this is that him dying while they were so young would define them. Like he would want them to go and have their lives and live their lives and do everything they would have done had he been around. Um, so I think you do, you park what's going on with your life to the side because everything else comes first and you just make sure you're busy all the time. If you're not dealing with the kids, you're sort of focusing on work or you're thinking about what you need to make for dinner or anything to stop, I suppose, in one way. And I guess that's where the running came in because that's where it became my time to sort of think things through and my sort of like a little meditation time, I guess. And had you not run before? Not really. I mean, I did a bit in school and then I did something for work. I was asked to do uh, a run for work um, in aid of a charity partner. And I said, sort of grand, it's, you know, I'll walk it, be grand. And then bit by bit, I sort of did a little, ran it a bit. I thought I was like, oh, I sort of like this. So it became a little bit of an addiction. And then I sort of noticed my my head would feel a bit lighter after I'd gone for a run. Like I'd start to feel, it was my time sometimes to sort of just maybe think about Martin or think about what's going on for me rather than just always now, always being focused on everybody else or the kids or just anything really that took away from dealing with um, with everything, you know. And I do hear about running described in this meditative way. I've never got there. <laughs> I'm still at that. I hate no this. Time. I hate this. I hate this. No, you I don't. Hate this. You don't. You see, that's the thing, I think, as well, is you have to, you know, I think when somebody dies, one of the, there's loads of different ways that grief 
hits everybody and it hits everybody in different ways and nobody's the same, you know, I don't think. But one thing I found was like I lost a lot of confidence and it was sort of weird because I, I, I didn't really notice it till a few years afterwards. I went, why am I always sort of second guessing myself or like I noticed if Arlo missed a hockey match, I'd be sort of like going, why do you, this is, I'm really not on top of this. I'm not being like, I'm not on top of my game. I'm not on it. And, you know, or you sort of, you know, you mightn't feel sort of as confident in your work or you mightn't feel, you know, little things like I'd go back four times, check I'd lock the back door, you know, which I'd never done before. I'd always been sort of, you know, right, I've done this, I've done that. And I think that's the other thing about the running, that where that helps is you're the one that comes home from work and you put your runners on and you decide you're going to for a run. Nobody's making you, it's your decision. And then when you sort of get more into it and then you do a race and you cross the finish line, that's your achievement. You've been in charge, you've done that, you've got there. Like, okay, it's great if you have a few friends who encourage you. But, you know, it's... The getting up, the going out, the getting the runners on, the going and doing it, just telling yourself, look, I don't need to run the whole thing. I can walk back. Now, you will end up probably running it, most of it. But we all have a little walk. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sometimes when you're maybe a bit tired or, or whatever. But I think that's really helped. The running's really helped build my self-esteem back up in that regard because I've sort of gone, I've done this. I've crossed the finish line. This is my achievement. And you have achieved. I mean, did you do your first couple of marathons during the lockdowns? Yeah. Did you do one within a five kilometre <laughs> yeah, zone? the first one. Yeah. That was funny because when I did that, we'd always sort of done a charity night for, for Martin. We couldn't do it because it was obviously lockdown. There were no clubs open. There's nothing open. So I was like, oh, what am I going to do instead? And I thought, do you know, I might give the marathon a go virtually. So that was fine. And then I think it was about a week or two weeks before the 5K limit came in. I think we'd gone back to a longer distance from 2K and then it went back to 5K. So it was up and back to just up to nearly as far as I think it was Seapoint and back four times or something. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but you know, the one thing about it was, that was brilliant, was like runners are generally pretty friendly anyway and you always know coming up to something like the Irish Life uh, Dublin Marathon you always know when people are training for it because they'd be out in all weathers whether it's sideways rain or wind or stuff whatever but with the first one it was um, everyone once they did one lap you realised that um, other people were doing it so everyone got sort of friendly and everyone waved and everything along the way so it was lovely it was actually really nice one to do. Well, doing, doing it with people is better. Yeah, because that say. gives you the, the, the kind it of does. a crowd feeling and that gives you an extra boost. Oh, yeah, it does because um, like last year was the first time and uh, that I'd done it with people and I think I I was crumbling which is halfway before I actually even realised we were halfway because you just buoyed along by everybody and it's a very quite an emotional Race, I mean, it's really friendly. Everyone's really helpful to each other. You know, if people are struggling, you see people helping and the, people, the support on the sides of the road is just insane. Like that, That's where I excel now. That's where I come into my <laughs> meditative zone. <laughs> um, but it is, you know, and people have sweets for you and, you know, it's great. But um, 
the your boy along by people and it is very emotional i remember when i sort of crossed the finish line last year and there was a, a lady standing over by the railings and i just thought she was overwhelmed with having finished and delighted but she was actually in floods of tears and i went over and gave her a hug and we chatted about why we were doing it and she showed me a picture of her brother who she was doing it in memory of and it had been quite uh, somebody who had had died in a high profile way and it, so I recognised him and I just was like oh my like you just you forget why people are doing it everybody has a story everybody has a memory and it, it's quite moving it's quite a moving thing I think And do you, you know? think about Martin when you're running do you attach that to it I know you run for, last year you ran for yeah, a jigsaw yeah, because you knew that would have been important to him yeah well we actually I set up a, cha- a trust in his name after he died but this year um, I'm doing it for Gavin Glynn Foundation because I sort of feel that Martin I mean obviously when you have somebody very close to you that dies from cancer and they're going through the cancer process I mean, it is hard. I think the week he died, I worked 60 hours. I was working 60 hours a week just to keep the show on the road, which also meant I was away from him and I was away from the kids for all day, every day. But one of us had to be earning. So I sort of feel that like it's bad enough an adult having cancer, but one of your children having cancer, I think, would just be absolutely devastating. So the Gavin Glynn... Trust aims to raise money for um, the families and the parents and cover costs for kids that may need to go away for cancer treatment. So I think to have that worry and stress alleviated when you've enough to be worried about, um, I think is great what they do. Yeah, any friends of mine who have gone through great grief, I mean, we all go through mm, grief. At yeah, time. We lose loved ones absolutely. because that's the nature of things. But yeah. those who experienced shocking loss like your, yourself... A lot of them have poured themselves into charity and, mm. and turning a negative into a yeah. positive. But one of my good friends, Suzanne, she lost her daughter and oh. she set up a charity in her name. But mm. she says about grief that immense joy can live alongside immense pain. Do it you can. find that? Yeah, it can. I mean, like, you know, we had, uh, we met when I was, I was 21 when we met. I was actually 20. Um, I like we'd great time. We were best friends. We were laughing. I mean, Martin was very funny. So like even the night before he died, we were watching Winnie Streak having the absolute crack, you know, because he'd have a running commentary going on, <laughs> which I'm not going to repeat in the air. Um, so, you know, he would he was and he was he was great fun. He absolutely adored his kids. That was his, you know, he was a DJ, he used to run nightclubs. That was his thing. He got more crack out of DJing in the kids' national school on sort of summer fairs or Christmas fairs. Like that was his thing. He loved that. And actually the day he died, um, on that Sunday later on the day, a supermarket order came. And I was like, what's with all the flour and everything? Because I was a bit all over the place. And um, then I realised he'd offered to make pancakes for Pancake Tuesday that was coming up in the school. Like, that was his thing. He just loved the kids and being at home and being a family person. But I think, you know, he'd get absolutely tremendous fun out of the three of them. And I I think that's the one thing I really, if I have one massive thing I regret is not seeing what their relationship 
would be together because I think he'd have a very different relationship with all three of them because the three of them are so different. But I think he just absolutely, like Felix is in the middle of Dina's leaving and I think he'd be just raving about him to everybody. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, so it is something that I, I actually feel I am very lucky. I have three guys. They're brilliant kids. And, you know, we had something that some people don't get ever. So, you know, you can't take away from that. Yeah. And you'll always you know, have that winning streak absolutely. night. And even though you worked hard, you still, yeah, yeah. when you were there, you were there. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, I mean, we had, we had a lot of fun. We did a lot of things. I mean, I think he would get, uh, he'd get great mileage, pardon the pun, about me doing the, doing the Irish Life Marathon as well. Because that's it. You know, he'd just be like. There you go. She did this because he loved bragging <laughs> to anybody who listened. <laughs> and you do say that people should remember that time is so important. We think mm. we have so much control over these things, but sometimes we don't. I mean, when yeah. you got that that diagnosis, you were told five years. You were thinking it might be months. two. Yeah. And then it was five. It was, it was five, five months. months. Yeah. Pretty much date to date. It was um, five months. Yeah. It was quite, I mean, it did, I have to say that the timeline took us off guard, well, took me off guard, um, because I think anything, and I know they say don't Google, but you Google, um, anything and any as well, you know, uh, experts we talked to sort of say 18 months is sort of standard. So, yeah, we were actually the night before wondering, should we take the kids out of school and do the big holiday? And then we were broke, so we decided we wouldn't. Um, and then Martin turned around and said, I was like, well, look, we borrow the money. And he turned around and said, yeah, but there's one problem with that. I was like, what's that? What if I don't die? <laughs> and then you're absolutely so, broke. You know, and then you're, so, yeah. But isn't um, it the mundane? Isn't it the really simple things like the laughing at winning streak? Yeah. Sitting, having a cup of coffee together in the morning yeah. and, you know, shouting at the kids to get ready yeah. for school. Yeah, they're, they're the sure, special look, bits. Our, 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 the last time I spoke to him, we were having a row about the dishwasher. He was emptying the dishwasher or some, something. Life. Yeah, and it's life. And that's, you know, and that's why I sort of feel, you know, we did have that life and you can't take that away. You know, it's so I sort of like, obviously, I he was my best friend and I still miss him, you know, terribly. And the kids still have moments where Suddenly they get really upset. Um, and I think it's actually sort of quite weird because in the last, in January, we lost a very close friend, one of the kids' godfathers and a very close friend of Martin's. And I think that's when it actually really, really hit me that Martin wasn't there because I remember thinking, God, Martin be just absolutely devastated. Absolutely devastated that, you know, what had happened. And it was sort of, strange being losing a friend but also your heart's broken for his wife and his kids and then you sort of there's this weird mixed emotion because you're going oh my god this is what it must have looked like for other people for me and I think that's again where the running really helped because sort of January, February, March every time I went for a run I noticed I was crying when I was running and finally I guess it was all sort of coming out whereas I'd sort of uh, blocked it off um, and suddenly it was sort of it was like the dam burst and it was coming out now and running really helped with that you often see people running and crying 
Do you know what I mean? Because I think it's their, they're getting it out of the system. It's their time to, to, to get have that moment, you know. Yeah, and that's what and they say. And you don't say. care either. Emotion <laughs> is know. energy in motion and you're, you're yeah. moving it on mm. and, and, and let it out. Well, yeah. wow, to have come this far within five years, I've just, I've fallen in love with you in this conversation. Oh, you are you. some woman. Um, I'm definitely going to sponsor you. Where can people um, get behind well, you? Well, they can have a look on the Irish Life Dublin Marathons website. Um is uh, the Irish life are going to match whatever I raise so which is great and also if anyone wants to take part there's really at uh, the series um, at the Irish life race series also all the information for that is there because there's loads of other races you can do you don't just have to do the marathon you can do the 10k's or the halves or well, you've sold it well. I have yes. to say, I'm Go like, on. I want to stick Do my runners run. on. But look, yeah. if not, I'll be cheering you on for the sidelines. Oh, not just at the marathon, brilliant. always. Venetia Thank Quick. you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. To register, go to irishlifedublinmarathon.ie and to support Venetia's fundraising for the Gavin Glynn Foundation, you can go to at Venetia Quick on Instagram where you'll find a link to her Just Giving page. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to all of my guests, to my producer Aoife Breen, to Simon Keane and to Hugo De Silva-Scott who was on sound and thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.